Welcome to the Vulnerability Rocks podcast. You're listening to Emma Bell, and I believe that true healing starts with sharing. So Spencer, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. So this is an episode that I am excited to do because the reason that I started the podcast was because of you. Yeah. <laughs> so you inspired me to start a podcast to talk about the things that I'm passionate about, to start conversations that I believe really matter. Um, so I'd like to just start by saying thank you, actually. Mm. And Spencer is my friend and um, we are friends and we share lots of challenges that we come up against in life and today I'd like to talk to you about some of yours and this is really unusual because Spencer's normally the one interviewing people (laughs) digging around so today it's my turn and I would like to talk to you about your journey with your mental health and the challenges that you have experienced and that involves us going back a bit if that's all right with you that's fine well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. It's nice to be a guest. <laughs> I was a bit, bit feeling a bit left out after a while. I was like, when am I ever going to get on this blooming show? <laughs> there's no rules. There's no what you can and can't ask. So feel, okay. feel free. So you shared with me when I first met you, really, um, an experience where you arrived at a point where you wanted to take your own life. Mm. And I'd really like you to take me back and walk me through that period of your life and what led you to that place and why you felt the way you felt? To give that a little bit of context, I have a client of mine in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, he's been a client for three years and they've built an incredibly successful business in the last three years, which I'm super proud of compared Mm. to where they were. And his name's Jay. And he messaged me the other day, literally four days ago. He said, Spencer, I need to talk to you. Can you find some time? So I jumped on a Zoom with him. I said, how's everything going? He said, the business is going great. We went through the numbers and it was was phenomenal, like phenomenal, I was so proud of him. But I could just see his face was so low. And his wife's giving birth on the 12th of January, so they've got the baby coming, so that's all positive stuff. And he just said, I don't know what I'm doing it for. I'm making all this money, and he said, I just feel empty. Mm-hmm. He said, I don't know if I'm burnt out. He said, but I don't enjoy it anymore. Um, and it's like the more money I'm making, the less happy it's making me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I sat and thought about that because it took me back mm. to the time before what happened happened. Okay. And so I was doing really well mm. and being given credit for that success, but I wasn't... I wasn't feeling anything. Mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling any joy or gratitude or excitement and stuff. So I went through a couple of years of wondering why I did what I did mm-hmm. and whether there was an element of boredom in there or whatnot, I don't know, but I definitely felt something. And then basically, cutting a long story short and getting rid of some of the details, I got fired from a company that mm-hmm. I'd helped to build. And it wasn't like I got fired from a job, and I know that's tough enough anyway. I got fired from a way of life. Mm -hmm. I got fired from a family. I got fired from belonging. Mm. I got fired from building something Mm -hmm. that I had put before everything else in my life. 
And to put that into some sort of context, it, it's expat life comes into this, right, as well, into this. For people that live the expat life will probably be able to relate to this maybe a little bit more than someone is who's in their hometown, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But when you go and live abroad and you go with a company and you're part of that building and you're part of that growth, you're right, it does become your family, doesn't it? And talk to me a little bit about how that feels, to be part of something that's growing and what that means to you and the importance of it to help people understand how that feels. Well, look, when you, when you go and live overseas and you work for a company, that, that, those people in that company become your, your next family. Mm-hmm. And, and that was something I was very proud of, making sure that my employees felt as well. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're overseas, you're away from mum and dad, you're away from your friends, okay, we are your family now, okay? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're part of this gang. Yeah. Um, and so I, 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 had, I had friends outside of work, but I didn't really have many. Mm-hmm. Because, because I'd spent so much time working, I never really had time for other stuff. And so your, your relationships are built in, in, in your workplace. Now, whether that's mates, whether that's girlfriends, boyfriends, a lot of that kind of stuff happens. Mm. And that was me. And not only was I doing that, I was doing that in many different countries in the world. So I moved from one country to the next country to the next country. So I'd been conditioned to understand how it worked. Mm. And every time I went to a new country, I had to build that again, but with the same organization that I was building. And so that, and, and I think that a lot of people, when they, they start new jobs overseas, they, they, they really feel that, you know. They, well, who's their first social night out? Who's their first, you know. Mm-hmm. Most people don't go onto Facebook and say, I'm lonely, I don't know anyone, but let's be friends. Yeah. Most of them will lean into people at work. Yeah. And, and when you're overseas, culturally, there's some issues as well. So if you go to work and you're British and you work in an office that's 50% Filipino and 50% Indian, um, that people stick together with their own mm-hmm. people. And mm-hmm. so if you, if you don't fit into those cultures easily, that's even tougher. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also highlighted if you're British and you go and work with British people. Yeah. All right? It's kind of Just weird stick together. together. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so <clears throat> I definitely, i definitely given up or never focused on anything outside of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd made sacrifices, but to the people that I shouldn't have made sacrifices, my family, my mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. And... Tell me more about that. Well, because it was all about work. Okay. You know, my kids were in the UK when I first came to Dubai, and, and Dubai's not my first overseas place, but when I came to Dubai, I was in Holland before, mm-hmm. which meant every weekend I was in London with the kids. How old were you when you left the UK? 23. Okay, so young. Mm. And it's a really impressionable age too, right? Mm. You know, and yeah, I went to Hong Kong and Thailand and mm-hmm. Malaysia, and I'm in these big cities in the other side of the world, and it was exciting, you know. It was, yeah. it was fast-paced, and, and I, I, I couldn't wait to tell people back home, mm. you know, about how amazing this was, yeah. you know, because everything's... And when you're young, you're not only impressionable, but you're, you have way more courage. And when you're young, you, there's, there's stuff that when you get older, because you've had many disappointments along mm-hmm. the way, that you're a little bit more cautious to get involved in. Yeah. But when you're young, it's just kind of like... Young and fearless, roll right? Roll your sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> charge, <in>. charge. <laughs> Jump in. Yeah. What, do you, what do you mean that might be scary? No chance, you know? <laughs> so sign you, sign yeah. me up, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. And so you really, you really have that when, you, when you're young. And mm. I don't know what it's like to live and work in England. No. You know, I left England when I was 23. I'd worked for four or five years in the UK. And it, all those rules didn't apply anymore. No. You know, there were, there were other rules, you know. In Asia, I, I didn't have to shake hands. I had to bow. 
You know, in Brazil, I had to realize that no one, no one understood what a watch was or a clock was because no one keeps the same time. <laughs> um, in, in the Middle East, I had to realize that, that, that people are, are different around their religion than yeah. they are, you know, how we see religion back in the UK. It's a yeah. much more serious thing here. Um, and, you know, when I, when, I, when I moved to Holland, I moved to Holland thinking Holland would be great mm-hmm. because as a kid, my dad had worked in the oil industry and mm. contracting through Shell. And so I knew loads of Dutch people okay. overseas. And so I'm like, Dutch people are great, you know. <laughs> but I think Dutch expats are the same as British expats. People are different when you're overseas. Going mm. to live in Holland, I would invite people to my house, but nobody would invite me to theirs. Why? Because uh, they would invite their own people. Okay. You know? Or maybe they didn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> As that came out of my mouth, I'm like, that's so the wrong thing to say, because I'm an ass. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the case. <laughs> but yeah, it was, but, but when you make sacrifices to your kids, I, I, out of Holland, it was every weekend home. Then I came to Dubai, and then I said, okay, I'll go home every second weekend to see the kids. And the amount of people over the years have said to me, that is so commendable that you would go home every second weekend to be with your kids. It's like most people don't see their kids for months when they get divorced and stuff. Mm. Well, I don't see that as a commendable thing. Mm-hmm. I used to look at it saying, that seeing them every two weeks is bad because I, they're my children. I should be there for mm-hmm. them all the time. Mm-hmm. I know I know men here of similar age to you in, in worked in similar industries, don't see their kids for six months, mm. nine months, a year at a mm. time. Nuts. I mean, my, my, this lockdown thing, I've not seen the children. I saw the children in August. Yeah. And I've not seen them. I'm seeing them soon. Okay, so I'm excited mm. about that. But yeah, I've never not seen them for yeah. that long. It's yeah. weird. Now, luckily, they're 18 and 21. So, you know, <laughs> dad's the biggest hindrance in the planet <laughs> unless he's got his credit card and we're going shopping. <laughs> um, because they've got lives, you know. They've got yeah. their boyfriends and girlfriends and all that kind of stuff and mates. And, you know, I said. How to, old would they have been when you were first away then? They weren't born when I was first away. Okay. So when I was I was twenty three, I didn't have kids. Okay. So I had kids when I was twenty nine. All right. Mm. So then, did you go back to the UK for? No, my wife lived. So my, I met my wife overseas. She was a British expat as well, oh. and then she moved with me to West Africa. She then moved with me to mm. Brazil. My eldest Taylor was born while we lived in Brazil, mm. um, and then after we left Brazil. She wanted to go home for a while, mm-hmm. and I was going to commute in and out of Europe. And you know what? No drama for me. Yeah, I was on planes all the time anyway, so it was no biggie. Mm. Um, and so the kids, my eldest probably had me all the time until she was three, and my youngest won't have a memory at all of mm. of me being there all the time. Mm. So you're doing the expat life, and you're part of this family, which I can relate to because I've worked in a company similar. Um, where, especially when you get lots of young people coming in to the companies and it's their everything. Mm-hmm. It's their social, it's their work, it's their their hopes, their dreams, their everything. And also, guess what? It's, it's thrilling, it's exciting. And it's, in their mind, like they're living the dream, right? So they give up everything to put their whole selves into it. So I can understand how you could then arrive at it becoming your entire life. So you were then with this company for how long? 16 years. It's a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a long time to be with them. But again, what 
what you know what caused the downfall and all of that though was the fact that I started to feel unfulfilled. Yeah. I, I, like I was explaining how my friend, uh, my client Jay felt, and I, and being unfulfilled, people deal with it in different ways. Yeah. I became destructive. Mm-hmm. I became. Um, I became, in the eyes of the chairman, you know, a problem, and that. You know, I was cocky. I was arrogant. I mean, I was earning a, a huge amount of money, and so what came with that was a big ego. Mm-hmm. You know, this belief that my shit didn't stink. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was invincible and I was untouchable, mm-hmm. um, and <clears throat> that led me to do some things that. I shouldn't have done and treated people the way I shouldn't have treated them and then eventually it came to a head and um, yeah there was a conversation one day and it was like you got to go and I had agreed to um, gardening leave for a year Mm -hmm. I'd agreed to be paid for the year on gardening leave which I thought would give me a chance to go and reconnect with people go and reconnect with friends Mm -hmm. family go and and they lived in different parts of the world to so go and see them and spend time with them and you know try and work out what I really wanted to do mm. um, which spending time with friends and family lasted I think four or five weeks and I came back and I realized that even though I had all this money and even though I, I was being paid for a long time ahead of me or the rest of the year ahead of me I was like everyone's at work no no it's like it's like when you're a kid, if you've ever played truant from school and you're on your own, it's really lonely. I only ever did it once, okay? I only ever did it once. And, I, and it was like, when everyone's at school. I'm bored now. <laughs> yeah. Well, Can I go back into maths? It's like, it's like <laughs> I'm going to go down the park. Not, no one's in the park because everyone's in school. You've got a seesaw on your own. Yeah. <laughs> Not that fun. Didn't last long. <laughs> and so that's what it was like because everybody, yeah. everybody was busy working. Yeah. And at the same time, my partner, um, Barbara, she uh, decided she didn't want to be with me anymore. Um, so that happened. I also had at the same time a notification after spinal surgery that the operation six months later had failed and they needed to have it again. And so, I, yeah, I had three blows that came to me in a very, very short period of time. And I mean, that really short period of time. Well, so when did you have your back injury then? 2000 and well I had it I had the back injury I had sciatica in my back for probably three years okay and then eventually the 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 chiropractor was like you need you need spinal fusion surgery this is anything that's going to fix this Mm -hmm. and so and again that I'd never had an operation before Mm-hmm. I had seven stitches in my elbow uh. when I fell over once, and that, that was that was scary enough. But the thought someone was going to cut my back open, yeah. And in and in, and I remember being in the in the clinic with the surgeon, and he had one of those plastic spines, you know. Yeah. And he's holding it up and looking at, it. and and, he, and then he sh- there was this on on this like hook was this spine, and it had all these metal rods in and these screws in and this thing in that I can only describe it as those those um. You know those wind-up teeth that you screw the teeth out? Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's what it looked like, a metal version of that inside. And I'm looking at it and I went, shit, man. I said to the surgeon, Dan, I'm like, who the hell? Who the hell would have that done? And he just looked at me and he, he pulled out of his drawer a bar of chocolate and he whacked it on his desk and he opened the bar of the chocolate. He said, do you fancy some chocolate? And I'm like, yeah, all right. I'll have a piece of chocolate. He's had a piece of chocolate. He went, you... You're having that. That's what you need. Yeah. And it was just terrifying. Oh. And how old are you? Because it's quite... To know, well, never it's two, have an operation. To 2012. Your... 2011. And you were how old? 
2011, I was 41. Yeah, so it's quite daunting then, really, to have never mm-hmm. had a, an operation or general anaesthetic, I suppose, until 41 is quite mm-hmm. a daunting prospect. And then you're in Dubai at this point. Mm-hmm. So this conversation has happened, and I suppose to lots of people, they would think a year off work paid, great. If you said that to most people, they'd think that was an amazing thing. I did. <laughs> <laughs> But now tell me the reality of that for you. Empty, lonely, um, mm. miserable, um, pointless. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the, the, remember that the way that the company worked is that when I was asked to leave the company, everybody was asked within the company not to contact me. Yeah, so this is what I wanted to come on to. So it's not as simple as not work for a year, is it? This no, no, no. type of agreement. It's I don't work, don't do anything else, and... Ties are severed. Ties are severed with everyone. So mm-hmm. that's your family ties. Yeah. These people that you'd worked with day in, day out, these people that you'd helped shape their lives, mm-hmm. these people that you'd made a big impact and uh, along the way, these people that you would go out to the bar with on a Thursday night, these people that you'd play tennis and squash and whatever it may be mm-hmm. with, these people that you'd be messaging all day, every day, mm-hmm. all stopped overnight. That went like that overnight. And I lost everything. Yeah. Uh, I lost everything. I didn't see anything apart from loss. Now, whether that was the right or the wrong way to think about it, that's what happened. And it was just empty mm-hmm. and lonely, really lonely. Uh, and with your partner leaving you as well. Mm-hmm. So I was literally living on my own. Mm. Uh, I had Juliet, my housekeeper. God, man, what she had to listen to over those <laughs> those months. You know, she's busy washing up or something, and I'm like, I want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, everything everything was gone, and it just took me to a place where I was like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And so I started going to the gym. I, c- I couldn't sleep, so I started going to the gym, and I, I'd sold myself on the idea that if I go to the gym twice or three times a day, mm-hmm. I'll tire myself out. Okay. So I'll sleep. And I was, I, th- there was one, one period of time where there was three days that I didn't, didn't sleep. Like not, not, all, not even in half an hour. Mm-hmm. I was a wide awake, pacing around the house, pacing. You know, I had no one to talk to. I had no one to call. I had no one nowhere to go, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's three o'clock in the morning here. What do you do? You know, and I'm walking around the house. And it was just very, 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 very dark. And it was very empty and very, and very sad. Um, and and it was just like during that period I was like no one gives a fuck about me no one cares and there's no purpose to life you know I'm, I'm just I'm just I'm just a hindrance um, I'm of no value to anybody my children had a stepfather and I was like okay he's not like me but he's a good human being mm. they've got their mum there's money for them for the rest of their lives. I don't need to be here. I'm of no value. So then I started researching how you do it. Mm. You know, so you go onto Google and you couldn't, I could never get my head around how you would, uh, how you would tie a belt to something. I couldn't get my head around that. And I was like, I don't know how to do knots. And so how do you, how do you, how do you tie a rope up that way? Um, so I was what reading instructions on, on Google and then, oh, that's just too, too complicated. And, what I'll actually do is, look, I'm just going to drive down the motorway really fast, drive my car, okay, I'm going to smash into something. And then I was like, well, what if I, what if I live? What if I crash the car? Because it's like, 
just imagine what would happen. And I, and I was like, I'm even going to get that wrong. I'm, I'm even, I'm even going to drive into the back of a truck or, in a, you know, turn the steering wheel 100 miles an hour and just let the car flip, flip, flip. I'm going to be that guy. That can't even do that right. That can't do that right. Just climbs yeah. out of it, you know, with a scratch and this. And then I was like, the, the only way to do it, to be sure, is to jump off a building. Because if I jump off a building, then I'm not going to survive jumping off a building. And so I went and looked at some buildings in Dubai. I went up the to the top of some buildings. I went on the roof of two buildings. And, and um, I remember, because I, I, I suffer from a little bit of vertigo, mm -hmm. so going near the edge of something... Which, when uh, you climb the mountains, sorry. It's not the same on we'll a We'll come back to the mountain conversation. <laughs> it's not the same. Climb, <laughs> climbing mountains is not standing on the edge of a, a bridge no. or anything. But... And I remember, I remember I was, I was, I wasn't sat on the edge, but I was uh, like legs hanging over, but I was sat there one day on the top close to the edge. And I was like, what if I fall? Or what if I jump and I get to the bottom and I break both my legs, shatter my spine and I'm paralyzed forever, but mm -hmm. I lived. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? And then so in my mind, it was like, how many stories does it have to be so that it works. To guarantee it. You know, what, what's, the, what's the guaranteed way? Mm -hmm. And I knew that you know, slitting my wrist was never going to work because I'm terrified of that, you know. Mm -hmm. so I wouldn't have the courage, mm. you know, to sit there and cut my wrist. Mm. And, and I, uh, so I knew that that wasn't going to be an option. And then I looked at the, the, the pill option, the tablet option, and I just, I'd, I'd, I'd watched too much on TV about people having their stomachs pumped and stuff mm -hmm. to know that there was a chance that wouldn't work either. And it was... Um, yeah, it was really, 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 really what dark. A, what a space to be in. And I find it, having been in a suicidal space myself, I can listen to what you're saying and not f find the sense in your thinking at that time. Oh, it's so logical. Yeah. So I don't find, obviously I don't condone it, I don't find the sense in it because I don't believe that we're in a place of thinking in our right mind when we're in that space but I can find the sense in what you're saying having been in a similar space to you and I just it blows my mind that we can go down these pathways of thought in such detail to such an nth degree in planning and thinking it through and feel in that moment that it's perfectly okay to be thinking like that and it's logical and it makes sense and that in some way we're we're being productive thinking this way. Yeah, we're, we're being methodical, but we're not in our right. The truth is we're not in our right mind in that moment. But in that moment when we're in that state of thinking, we believe that that's a logical way to be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And people that are listening to this right now, you know, some will identify with it and yeah. some will go, how on earth did you get there? That, yeah. Really? Yeah. You know? But to me, it was it was so real. It was so yeah. sensible. It was so... You know, I, 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 you know, I'm a salesperson, and I've done a really good job of selling myself on the fact that my kids didn't need me. Yeah. And I, I did a really good job of that. And you know, when you when you sell yourself on the fact your children don't need you, um, and you're alone, what do you do? You know, mm -hmm. what what is there to look forward to? Mm -hmm. And you know, you I hear people say, you know, it was one day at a time, one step at a time. That's how I recovered. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me either. 
you're, you're either in to win or you're out mm-hmm. and out means gone mm-hmm. and so and I just couldn't see any possible way of being in to win you know mm-hmm. so you went down these planning routes hypothetically in your head and then tell me where where your head went next and where that took you it was time to say goodbye so I needed to go back to England to go and say goodbye bye to my kids my mum and my dad knew that I wasn't in a good place Mm -hmm. but that kind of level they weren't aware of that at all and had you spoken to them yeah I'd spoken to both of them Mm. my my mum and dad are divorced but I'd spoken to my mum I'd spoken to my dad and and it was more around splitting up with my partner, mm-hmm. Barbara, at the time, than it was losing my job. Mm-hmm. My dad's 75. He's from the old school, you know. For him, there's no such thing as depression. Yeah. Depression, it's like, dust yourself down. Roll your sleeves up. Come on, Get pick on it up. It. Let's go. Um, and and I think my mum as well. And uh, I think my mum as well. And um, whether that generation were like that or whether they have experiences to lean on that I didn't, you know, coming out of the Second World War and knowing people had all these things happening to them. Um, Stiff up a lip, British way, isn't it? I, think, I just don't think it was understood either. Mm-hmm. And I think it really was um, that sort of what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger type of thinking, mm-hmm. which, yeah, we can come out more resilient in mm-hmm. the side on the other side of adversity. But at the same time, people experience real emotional struggles and um if they're left ignored people go inward Mm -hmm. and they are left to explore what they feel are rational options which to somebody who is not struggling emotionally would sit there and think well that's not rational at all Mm -hmm. but unless we give that person the space to speak they go inward right and Mm -hmm. they start doing what you did Mm -hmm. yeah so you went home, you flew back to the UK uh-huh. to say goodbye to your uh-huh. family, and then what? So, so people can understand the scene. I had a, a farmhouse down a country lane in England with a kind of like a big gravel driveway. And there's never anybody on the driveway. My cars were in the garage. I'd arrived from the airport. There was a taxi that brought me home. And my, my father lives 250 miles away and close to Newcastle, and I'm from down south. Um, And his car was on my driveway. Mm. I I was like, what was he doing here? Anyway, he wasn't in the car, and I had the key to the house. So he wasn't in the car, and I had the key to the house. So where was he? Anyway, so I opened the door, went inside, and my dad was sat on the sofa. Mm. And uh, I'm like, how did you get in? He said, your housekeeper let me in. I was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> He's like, look, you just got off a plane. Why don't you go and grab a shower? I'll make us some breakfast. Okay, I just thought I'd come and talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had a shower. He made some breakfast. He said, look, I've got a friend. And so he listened to me because I was still in the friend. And I, I was, when, you, when you're in a dark place, you're trying to find accountability, aren't you? You're trying to hold someone or something accountable for the reason that you are or the way you are. Mm. And so, and, and, the, and the accountability isn't you, mm. okay? In that place, you, it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a victim, like big time you're a victim. Somebody done something to you. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so we were in a place where the farm is, which I sort of keep it for anyone that knows the UK, not far from Stansted Airport. My dad said, I've got a friend in Chelmsford, I'd like to meet him. So we drove to Chelmsford and it was, you know, conversation on the way was not related to that topic. You know, okay. 40 minutes or 30 minutes in the car, whatever it was, we didn't relate to that topic. And then we pulled into the Priory. Okay. And so the kind of Priory and the Betty Ford Clinic the the two places that I'd seen on TV, so I knew what it was. Where people go when they've got substance abuse, or mm-hmm. they're alcoholics, and mm-hmm. you know all that kind of stuff, gambling addicts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I was like, "What are we going in?" He said, "I just went to meet this guy. Come and meet this guy with me." And so he took me in, and we sat down with this guy, and um, he was a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad stepped out of the room. He said, I want you to talk to him alone. So my dad stepped out of the room after a little while and um, I just talked to him and he continued to talk to me for the next few hours. And I started to open up to him. Um, and I told him what my plan was. Um, and he wasn't, you know, I remember him. He wasn't kind of like shock and no. awe. He was just calm and he was understanding my logic. Um, and the focus for him with me was my children. Mm-hmm. So the focus with him was to to understand more about the children thing. You know, the kids had been christened without me being involved. My ex-wife and I didn't get on, and there were lots of there was lots of poison around that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he just he talked. He basically I don't even know how to describe this. He talked me out of it. Okay because he taught me to understand the impact it would have on my children Mm -hmm. and ways that I hadn't understood or tried to understand before. Mm -hmm. Because for me, it was quite practical. You know, they've got money for the rest of their lives. They've got a decent stepfather. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, They've got a decent mother. So actually, they they don't need to worry about anything. But what he got me to start understanding was the the impact when children do lose their parents Mm -hmm. in many different ways but more so in suicide, the impact on them five and ten years later yeah, and how it could literally destroy them. Because, and I think that's really important, in particularly in your case, because a lot of your reasoning was that you had come to the conclusion that they would be okay without you. I, I My conclusion was they'd be better yeah. without me. Yeah. It was like, they would be so much better. They don't need this divorce backwards and forwards thing. They don't mm. need this. They don't need this. You know, this two different ways of being brought up. You know, mum who was very easy on them, and dad who was like a bit old-fashioned and stern. And mm. you know, rules are rules, and please and thank yous matter, and take your plate from the table, and yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. And I just thought, it, I just thought for them, it was be- it would be better. Their life would be more peaceful and less hassle. And it's a common thing when I speak to people who have experienced suicidal thoughts or made suicidal plans that they often arrive at the conclusion that truly and it's a true belief that people really would be better off without them there Mm -hmm. and that they would be taking that burden off of them by doing so Mm -hmm. um and it's definitely not a selfish thought it's a Mm -mm. it's a let's unburden people because Mm -hmm. by being here i'm being selfish and i'm putting on people yeah and I knew that put, you know, putting myself out of the equation, you know, I was away, you know, people would be sad for a few weeks, you know, there'll be a funeral and mm-hmm. stuff, and so, but people then just get on with their lives, don't they? Mm-hmm. You know, and so, yeah, I was... Well, that's what you thought. Very aware, very... Yeah. And, 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 and almost to the point of being positive about it. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, this is the right thing. But he, he spent a few hours with me, 
And then I stayed there for a few days. And over that few days, it, it just got me to start thinking about the impact and then started to get me thinking about you know, what life could look like if, if mm -hmm. life was great. And, and mm -hmm. just started to get my head into, a, not a completely different space, but just opened a, little, a few doors a little bit for me to look through and mm -hmm. see what might be there Crack that was positive. Hope. Is that what it's called? Well, like a hope, right? Yeah. For me, depression and is when, when the world goes dark, hope disappears. Yeah. And I think the minute that you feel like any glimmer of hope has gone, that's when it gets very dark and very scary and very lonely and we go down that tunnel of despair because hope in any situation, even when you're heartbroken, when you're suicidal, if there is a glimmer of hope, there's something to try again for, right? Mm -hmm. And if you've if that hope has diminished, that's when people end up in this solitary space and, and it's it's dark and there is no light, uh -huh. you know? So that, that man managed to, as you say, like he managed to show me a little <laughs> crack of what could be and that's, that's hope, right? You regain even just the tiniest glimmer of hope can keep someone alive. Mm. Yeah. I'm That's glad he did that for you. Yeah, I, me too. <laughs> me too. Very great. Otherwise, friend. I wouldn't have my lovely friend now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very glad too. Um, mm. But that that wasn't that that was the beginning. It certainly wasn't recovery. Yeah. But it was the beginning, and then I think I came back to Dubai. I spent a bit. Uh, I spent probably spent a couple of weeks with the children. And then I came back to Dubai, um, and I think that sometimes having somebody I, I don't think always having somebody that's going through what you're going through has gone through what you're going through is actually always helpful mm -hmm. because i think sometimes it's a reminder mm -hmm. it's like i mean i'm not a, i'm not a huge fan of a psychotherapist wanting to keep going over the past no um of course let's address it but why do we keep going back to it because mm -hmm. it doesn't it's not going to change mm. The, the future is what we have to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, and the present is what we have to take action on. Yeah. So keep taking you to those dark places over and over and over again mm. when you're in therapy. Um, I'm, I, I mean, I'm not saying I'm no expert at this, mm. but just for me, it wasn't the right thing to do. And when I, when I saw that there was a way forward, and, and what happens is that the moment a door opens a little bit, you get a couple of a couple of little wins. You know, somebody mm. said to me, oh, I'd, I've got this business idea. I'd like to do this and I'd love to do it with you. Mm. And I was just like, ah, you know, uh, oh, me. Yeah. Um, and then it's I, value, right? Yeah, it's been worth something, isn't it? Something. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, so, so bad was I that Danielle, my business partner, I couldn't even go to her wedding because I couldn't face the people at the wedding. Mm. You know, she's like, you're my closest confidant in the world. Mm. You need to be at my wedding. And it was just I, the thought of being there. I just couldn't face that kind of stuff. So it, there, there, there were challenges along the way, for sure. What part of it was it that you couldn't face? People. And the thought of people shame, meant what? Shame. Because they knew? Yeah, they knew, yeah. Shame, embarrassment. Okay. Mm. And since then, have you met those same people later on? I'm good friends with many of them. And how did that conversation go? 
was were you know did you still feel that shame or what what were you met with what was their reaction to you when you did finally speak with them um there was compassion yeah i was met with compassion um and empathy and a little bit of your spencer lodge you're going to make it mm-hmm. let's go you know, come on, you're better than that, mate, type of thing. Mm. Um, which helped because those people were significant to me at that time in my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how did it make you feel when the, you say you were worried about being with those people because of the shame and everything that that mm. brought? And then when you were actually in their company, you were met with compassion and, yeah, a bit of a pep talk at the same time because mm. that's what mates do, right? They'll mm. love you, but they'll be like, right, come on, you know, like the G one, that's part of a mate's job, right? How did that make you feel when you were actually met with that compassion and understanding and um, support? Relief. That's the. I was relieved. Mm. And whilst whilst I was never going to be the person that I was again previously again, um, the, and they could see that I was a different person. So I. It's almost like I'd been the patriarch in the, in in the clan, mm-hmm. and then. I was no longer the patriarch. I was I was in this group of people. I was no bigger, smaller, mm-hmm. worth more, anything else than anyone else. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was the one suffering. So, mm. but again, I say some of them. It's one or two, mm-hmm. but that was enough. Mm-hmm. And you say you weren't going to go back to how you were before. Mm-hmm. So tell me the differences in you. So out of every everything that's difficult, so in my life, the things that have been hard, out of the other side, I've found, I wouldn't want to necessarily go back and do that walk again, but the value that's come out of the other side in terms of me as a person and what I've learned from it and how it's changed me for the better in some ways, most yeah. ways. Yeah. How's that for you? I think I'm a nicer person. I just don't think I'm arrogant and obnoxious and egotistical anymore. You know, am I still cheeky? Of course I am, but I I care far more about all people. Mm-hmm. Where I was quick to disregard lazy people before, or mm-hmm. people that didn't achieve or wouldn't achieve or wasn't prepared to work hard. You know, that that was a, a real judgment of mine. Um, how much success you had was a back then was a great gauge of your worth. Mm-hmm. You know, as a person as a human being yeah yeah so you did really well you're the top of a leaderboard so yeah you're a good person you know you're the bottom of a leaderboard so you're Bad a person. bum you know <laughs> or whatever it may be and so that that changed mm-hmm. uh, every, everybody equalized to me mm-hmm. and people in different parts of their journey i learned had things to add that could help me mm-hmm. um and I started to care more about people than I cared about winning. Um, where winning, winning was the only thing before. Yeah. Um, and you know, has it all been plain sailing? No. Has it all been easy being that kind of person? No. There's been challenges there, but I much prefer who I am now. Mm. And I'm quite embarrassed about the person I was then. Mm. I do also think, though, that we are sometimes the product of our learnings and environment. And if we are taught that our value comes from winning and anything less than is 
a failure and we're a bad person, then we adapt very quickly into that mould because, especially when we're in, in environments like that, because we want to be valued, right? We want to be good people. So if that's what we're being modelled, it's no surprise to me that that's how we start to behave. Um, and it's only when a big life learning comes along and we have a shift that we can even think differently. Mm -hmm. We don't have the ability to be any different before if the environment doesn't give us the space to be so, right? Yeah. And this is where our environments become really important and who we surround ourselves with. And because if you're not in the right environment, you have to conform and perform. And that might be so far away from who you actually are as a person and what is actually healthy for you, right? Um, so I don't think we can be I don't think we should be hard on ourselves for our previous versions because the truth is we didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. That's fair. And when we learn better, we do better. Yeah. Um, and that's all we can ask of ourselves as human beings. Otherwise, we're kind of back into that judging ourselves again, right? Which we do easily. We're all very happy to take a stick and beat ourselves pretty quickly with it, right? <laughs> it's uh, easy to do. Um, and then I know that even now, you have your ups and downs. Mm -hmm. And not every day is an easy day. Mm -hmm. Talk me through a little bit about how things are for you now. I'm in a really good place at the moment. Good. So, um, I've seen the kids in a, in a couple of weeks' time, so that was makes some lifts me. Um, business is going well, and so I'm enjoying that. Um, I'm... Uh, and, and I'm optimistic about the future at the mm -hmm. moment. And I have, a, you know, do I have times that that uh, what's the word's not empty? I have times where I just I just get really low, mm -hmm. and and lonely. Mm -hmm. Even though I have a, a fantastic wife and I've got a wonderful supportive family, I just. I feel really lonely and it's almost like I pursue it. I pursue that loneliness. I pursue that um, that quiet. Mm -hmm. uh, yesterday was National Day. Mm -hmm. And whether we can mention this on the podcast because of the timing of it, I don't know. But yesterday was National Day and I got up yesterday morning and had a friend of mine came around for some, some business advice and he went and, and I was like, what are we doing today? And she, she had things to do. She's like, do you want to come with me? And I was like, and I just stayed at home. And I find, depending on where I am in my kind of, whether it's a cycle or flow, I'm either keen to go out for dinner with friends or I'm really anti it. Mm -hmm. And so... And I think I think nature plays a big part in that for me. Um, and when I say nature, I mean snow, mountains, fields, water. Um, it, it it plays a part in my in my well being. Mm -hmm. And if I don't have the opportunity to do that when I feel I need to, it it initially makes me angry, and then it makes me anxious. Mm -hmm. So. We have to go for dinner tonight. And I really don't want to go. <laughs> and we have to go for dinner. I, 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 the, the people are all very nice, but we're going for dinner at 
9.30. And I wake up at 4.30 every day. So mm -hmm. going to dinner at 9.30 means we'll be home at 12.30, maybe 1, which means the following day is ruined. Mm -hmm. Because my day is all about waking up at 4.30 and going to do something that makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And by doing something that makes me happy, it makes me have a better day. Mm -hmm. And so, but on Friday night, we're going out for dinner at 7 p.m., mm -hmm. which means I'll be home by 10 p.m., which means I can do he's on He's already Saturday just so you know, he's, he's smiling. He's <laughs> already got a big smile from ear to ear about that. <laughs> and it's just like, and so I'm, I'm, I'm married to somebody that, that sees the world completely differently from me. Um, the things that I truly get soul food from, I, I, I don't understand how anybody couldn't get soul food from the things that I enjoy, mm -hmm. but that's me. <laughs> Why do you not like what I like? But um, it, if I'm climbing a mountain, if I'm out riding my bike, if I'm kayaking on the water, if I'm... Even, I even when I take a walk mm -hmm. on my own, mm -hmm. that, that, that's, that's almost like, like a car needs petrol. That's, mm -hmm. that's really important fuel for me. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's really important, that fuel, to keep me happy. Mm -hmm. um, and if there's anyone that threatens that, it gives me a lot of anxiety. Mm. I think it's a recharge thing as well. So there's a lot of value in recharging on our own. And I think it's completely undervalued in, especially when it comes to a mental and emotional health, having that time to recharge alone, doing whatever it is that fills you back up without that is really destabilizing and it can then cause resentment when you then have to go and do tasks outside of that when you haven't refilled your own cup first. And the thing you is, know. you talk about alone, that's really interesting you say it because someone pulled me up on this the other day and they're like, you like to do those things and you like to be alone doing it, but you actually really enjoy hiking with others. Mm -hmm. So much so that you you almost prefer to hike with others than on your own, mm -hmm. for example. Mm. And so doing those things with other people that like those things, mm -hmm. I think is the biggest win I get. Because mm. I like... I like the conversation, I like the banter, I like the jokes. Mm. Um, you know, if you've, anyone's ever worked out with a personal trainer one-to-one, -one, it's great at first, but then it gets a bit boring um, because it's you one-to-one -one with the trainer. I, I train with three guys and the trainer, so there's, there's, there's three of us plus the trainer. Mm. And I love, I love that session at 5.30 every morning. Because the banter is fantastic, you know. We've got Hadi in the group, who's is an, an Egyptian, but we call him the Mexican because he's from America and he looks Mexican. He doesn't look Egyptian, <laughs> and so there's lots of fun and banter about that. And then we have Alex, who's <clears throat> Alex misses too many of the sessions because his excuses. He got to take his son swimming, and so we have we have the fun and the jokes around that, and tell stories, and we debate things, and and. And that I really enjoy because it, it actually it makes me push harder when I'm doing that. Mm. But um, do you think that that is familiar to the environment that you're used to being in for so many years, especially in this sales environment? And there's a group of you, and you're spurring each other on, and yeah, it's similar. Hey, I love that. Yeah, I know I you love, do. I love that. I love that group environment. Yeah, and work, and I work on my own now. And, and I work on my own and, and 
through lockdown, I worked on my own on Zoom. Mm. I know lots of people did, and so, you know, and there's nothing special about me. But that's like, that's like cutting off my circulation. Mm -hmm. you know, and whilst I'll speak on the phone quite a lot, I, I need to be in front of somebody. Mm -hmm. Well, you said to me, didn't you? You said, Spence, can, you know, can you come yeah. on my podcast? I'm like, where, when you, where, where are we doing it? You're like, on Zoom. I'm like, you live like four miles away from me. What do you mean on Zoom? He's like, no, we'll do it in person. Oh, I haven't done it before. And I'm like, I said to Alicia, I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. <coughs> I'm not doing a podcast on Zoom. It's not that. Not, not. And how, many, I mean, how many Zooms have we done? Podcasting Zooms this year. God, it's relentless. It's like <laughs> over and over and over podcasts on Zoom with people all over the world. And don't get me wrong, yeah. what amazing people that I've had on the show. But in reality, would I have much rather sat with them? Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm doing it. I'm speaking at a conference in um, January in Cairo. And uh, Lisa and I have to go there. And, and they're like, yeah, so yeah, it's, it's in Cairo. And I'm thinking it's a virtual event. And so I'm like, okay, virtual event in Cairo. Like that. They said, no, 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 you're on stage, speaking on stage. And I'm like, what? How many people are going to be there? There's like a thousand people. I'm like, amazing. <laughs> amazing. When do you want me? Uh... Yeah. Can I bring my camera person? <laughs> Can I bring the producer? They're like, yeah. I said, she needs hotel room. She needs business class flights. They're like, she's got them. I'm like, amazing. <laughs> you love it, don't you? Mm, I love that bit, yeah. Yeah. So tell our listeners where they can find you, Spence. Where can we find you? Some people say I'm omnipotent and no matter where they go on social media, <laughs> I seem to crop up. <laughs> um, do you know what? I, uh, yeah, if you want to find me, you can type my name into Google, Spencer Lodge. But if you go to my, my website, it's spencerlodge.tv. But if you go to Instagram, you'll see me at spencer.lodge. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with me today. Thank you for inviting me. It's been, uh, as always, lovely chatting with you. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to introducing you to my guest in my next episode. Until then, don't forget to take care of you.